0: Before we get started, this episode of the Food Grower Podcast is sponsored by Natural Grower. Natural Grower's award-winning liquid fertiliser, plant feed, and soil conditioner is made entirely from maize. It's naturally rich in nitrogen, potash, phosphate, and other trace elements that plants and vegetables love, and it's approved by the Soil Association, Vegan Society, and Biodynamic Association. The concentrated natural fertiliser can be poured around the base of plants, whilst the plant feed and soil conditioner can be mixed into the soil, or used as a mulch on the surface as a long term, slow release fertiliser, on all outdoor and indoor plants. Both Jack and I have been using the Natural Grower products this year, and have seen amazing results, and we have a fantastic 15% off the entire Natural Grower range for you. Simply go to naturalgrower.co.uk and enter foodgrower15 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by Direct Plants Limited, and specifically their amazing range of polytunnels. We use these strong and affordable tunnels on both Jack's Patch and Fanfil Farm and we love them. Direct Plants manufacture the tunnels themselves so that you can buy your polytunnel direct from the manufacturer, and not just any manufacturer, but from growers too, so that they really understand what you need. These traditional high-quality polytunnels are available in a range of sizes to fit your growing needs, and they're manufactured here in the UK in Norfolk. We're delighted to bring you a brilliant 10% off the entire range at directplants.co.uk. Simply head over there and use the code foodgrower at checkout. That's foodgrower, all one word, no spaces, at directplants.co.uk. Welcome to the Food Grower Podcast, the podcast that tells the story, highlights the techniques, and talks tactics with food growers from all around the world. From market
1: gardeners to allotment holders, field farmers to urban farmers, we want this podcast to inspire you to grow food or help you on your already existing food empire.
0: I'm Chris from Fanfield Farm. I'm Jack from Jack's Patch. Well, it is our absolute pleasure to introduce the king of market gardening, so to speak, it's he's influence, both mine and Jack's journeys along the way. It's Mr. J M Forty Eight. Jem, how's your week going? Uh, it's great. It's starting. We were. I was
2: telling you guys that uh, this weekend was holiday here, Thanksgiving uh, in Canada, and, and like it's uh, golden golden times here in Quebec because the leaves all are all turning into colors, different colors, and so the maple trees it's really really beautiful and uh it's really warm it's, it's uh it's like summer here but we're in the fall so it's kind of you know it's kind of mixed feeling we're happy that it's so hot but then we're like oh this is really unusual
1: we're, we're getting the same actually i said we had uh, before the podcast we've had a really wet summer but now we're having an uh, indian summer uh, autumn has been pretty good for us um so yeah, I mean, may it continue for us because we've had a cold, cold summer, and wet. So yeah, we're just trying to enjoy <laughs> what's left. Mm. Uh, so so, Jam, w- with the these podcasts, we're trying to g- get p- more people into growing food. Um, so we always like to take a step back and uh, get people to resonate with people's journeys. So if you don't mind, like, just tell us like a little bit about your story and how you got into growing. Sure.
2: Well, my my story, I, I guess, is pretty typical. Um, I'm a bit older than you guys, and so it's 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 kind of an older story, mm-hmm. but it's it's pretty st- relevant, I think. When I I didn't grow up on a farm, I knew nothing about farming. My parents weren't hippies. I, you know, just like organic wasn't wasn't part of any any anything me growing up. I, I was skateboarding, snowboarding. I was I lived in in the suburbs, uh, an hour of Mont- you know from Montreal and. Um, it was when I studied ecology at university because I liked being out, out outdoors, playing outside, and I was planting uh, trees out west in British Columbia to pay for my university. And I was just kind of look at the state of affairs, deforestation, and and I just I just felt that I wanted to be part of nature somehow. <laughs> and then I studied ecology, and that's where I met my wife Madeleine. And we studied ecology and environmental science, which was kind of environmental degradation. And we studied that for three years climate change, all the problems that, that uh, nature is facing and that we're causing. And after that, we just wanted to, we didn't know what to do, but we wanted to have a positive impact. And we did a trip. We went and worked on fair trade coffee farms in Mexico. And that was really something that we were studying, the impact of fair trade, how it was creating great conditions for growers down there. So we wanted to go see for ourselves. And then from there we leapfrogged to New Mexico in the in the States. And that was that we volunteered on a small organic farm. And and that was my first stink at being on a farm, understanding the community of farming. You know, we were with a French-Canadian that was uh, growing there and he was doing farmer's market. It was epic. There was people. People were thanking him. I would do the cash box. He would make great cash on a Saturday morning. And then we we farmed with him during the week. And, you know, I've been farming ever since, really. It's, it's, it was really, I was connecting so many dots at that time. For me, looking at, we were fighting globalization. We were fighting big institutions and we were looking at you know all the environmental problems and to really go with something very local and hands-on was like wow it was so so you know I, I I didn't grow up on a farm so for me just like working with your hands was something that I didn't ever consider so yeah so in short that's my story
0: Awesome. Love that. Is there is there something in that, that, that you didn't grow up on a farm and therefore you didn't have the experience before you you sort of started farming or market gardening that allows like your, you experiment a lot. So you didn't have that ingrained in you that this is the way we do it. Therefore, that's the way we do it now. Is that, do you think that's important?
2: Yeah, it, it was definitely. And there's a lot of things that, that are kind of blended into my story, but you know what we've did here at at my farm, le jardin La Gralinette, was was not unique, um, but it was it was unique in the way we've put many different puzzles together, pieces of the puzzles together, mm-hmm. to create a system that that really works. And I think that that was because I didn't grow up on a farm. When we were New Mexico farming was really small scale because they had a great farmers market. And the land there was like really kind of broken. It was small hills, small patches. And so the farmers weren't, weren't farming like here in Quebec where they, they're like five, six, six, 10, 20 acres. It was one acre, two acres, three acres max. Mm. And they were selling at farmers markets. And so that was my first impression of what farming is. Richard was making, Rashar was the name of the grower. He was making good cash. He was spending his winter in Mexico hanging out. And I was like, this is a great setup. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know that farming was supposed to be drudgery and it was supposed to be difficult. And also, you know, from there, the fact that we weren't set into one specific way of doing things, you know, I went to Cuba and I explored how the growers were working down there. I went to France and explored how the growers were working down there. Yes, you know, I was studying permaculture, which was very different in what it was kind of talking about with no-till and permanent beds and so when we came back we kind of and then there was the, the not the conventional but the classical organic farmers here in Quebec that are mechanized streamlined uh, you know very well educated in, in how to do things and then we kind of took all of this and put it into a field that was less than two acres mm. with a pretty big constraint and, and that's how my my farming my farm and my farming kind of evolved. It was a mix of me not knowing how to do this. So really going with my imagination and then having this constraint of land that really forced me to kind of look at how to optimize it and make it work. And I think even today with, with YouTube and all the books and all the work that's out there, I don't think I would have had had the imagination to kind of explore all these things before I kind of set it up.
1: The book wasn't there, was it? It was, um, you've kind of just let your imagination go. But I, I like how you've done things. You explored, you went to different countries. I feel like a lot of us, especially nowadays, are growing up and everyone's kind of angry at how the world's going and don't know what to do with it. And for me, working on a permaculture farm in Australia, I didn't know what permaculture was, just went there to earn some money. Um, and a guy gave us a lighter and a machete and was like, go clear that woods. But that's it. <laughs> just at the end of the day, as we had lunch and as I ate my first organic tomato and the light bulb went off is the, um, yeah, just understanding what permaculture was. And I feel like all the learning you've done, Jamie, it's like packaged. It's like a model of like, you can save the world and have a good life. And it's going to be a, it's a hard, it's hard earned work, but it's, it's, beneficial, you know, the the ethos is always there that you're trying to um, build a better future for everyone and everyone around you.
2: Yeah, and I think you're totally right. It, you know, we're not, you know, every generation wants to go back to, to the land in mm. a way, especially those of us that grew up in suburbs and cities, really disconnected from nature and from natural systems. There, there's, there's a point that many of us kind of reach where we we realize that everything is kind of artificial and everything is kind of like, you know, not really sustainable in many ways. And we're like, this is, this is kind of bullshit. And Mm. when you're at that point, usually that's when you're, when you're early twenties and, and, you know, usually that not always, but usually, you know, you're like, okay, well, what's, what's out there for me to, to have a different, footprint or a different lifestyle and that's how many young people get into farming because that's that's kind of an alternative to how they can live their life that's how I got into farming and and I think that's going to stay and my my perspective about that is is the more that we talk about farming as an alternative that is really making a difference You know, small farms in their communities, feeding the communities, creating local economies, uh, becoming steward of the land. And, you know, all of this word, all these words are when you are on a farm, it makes sense. You're, You're like, yes, okay, you're growing food, you're bringing it to market, you're selling it, and that's local economy. You are definitely the steward of this piece of land because you're nurturing it, you're taking care of it. And and you're doing something with your hand, you're growing mm-hmm. your stuff. It's very, you know, the reward is not, you know, so on many jobs that people do, let's say you're coding, you know, you're coding this piece of this big, big thing and it's going to take five years before you see the video game and your little code is just a little whatever. It's Growing food is not like that. It's like, boom, <laughs> planting radishes harvest them, they're, they're great or they're not great. Mm-hmm. And then you're selling them, you're getting the cash, getting the, the thank you. There's a, re, there's a big reward there. So anyway, just to say that I, I think that there's a lot of us that, that get attracted to farming because of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. You mentioned Le like, Uh Let's talk about the space and then like your routes to market for, for that farm as well. Sure. Well, it's a two-acre
2: market garden. Um, there's 10 field blocks and each field blocks has 16 permanent beds. We call them perma beds. And all these field blocks are 30 meter long. And those field blocks, the 10 of them are in a rotation crop rotation over 10 years. And each of these beds will have two, sometimes three or one and one uh, green manure. So it's, it's multi-cropped every year. And um, what else? There's a big greenhouse for the nursery. There's a tomato house. There's two other greenhouses where we grow cucumbers when one of the two greenhouses and we alternate. And we farm pretty much from March to November.
1: Nice.
2: We stop because of the winters here. And uh, we have a CSA of 100 families we go to two farmers market and we sell salad mix to the local grocery store and the sales are, you know, they used, to, you know, our claim to fame was that I was out there saying that we were making a hundred K per acres. And now we're doing a lot more than that to 250, 280, but the, the size of the farm has never grown since 2004.
0: So wow. that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing i think that's something important that that certainly in, i was inspired by hearing your story in that when when i first started out because there is this bigger thing of doing something great but at the end of the day we still want to be comfortable we want to be able to live and enjoy enjoy our lives and and unfortunately or not part of that is is earning money and earning good money and and sometimes you look at some of the youtube channels or books they talk about the growing a lot but there's always this in the back of your mind that farmers are poor or farmers don't have much mm. money. And and you're, you proven that that doesn't need to be the case.
2: Yeah. I think that I proved that in the past. <laughs> I think today when people look at me, if let's say a young person looks at me, I'm, I'm not really, you know, because people will say, Oh, you've, you've, you've become a TV star. You have a masterclass online course. You've written books, you know, you have a clothing company. It's just like people can't relate as much as before. Uh, but my, you know, the farm and and my my wife that runs the farm without me now because I run another farm. She still makes a really good, decent salary, and the you know the equation is there mm-hmm. when you factor in the fact that if you sell everything directly to consumers that want to pi- pay. Good price for what you grow. If you're a good grower and if you're always investing and making yourself more effective, working on efficiencies, you're investing in the right tools, you know, you're pumping more production, um, you can make a really, really good living. Like I'm talking not millions, not at all, but, you know, I always say a good life because you're working in your fields, you're serving the community, there's cash coming in. There's a lot of deductibles on farms, you know, that we never talk about because each country is different. But on, in our case, pretty much all of our expenses, we get tax, tax back from that. The farm is, is a business expense in itself. One day when we're, we stop farming, it's going to come back to us and it was paid by the business. So there's all sorts of ways that it ends up working. But you said it Right. The name of the game is to be a good grower. You really need to be on it. You can't just improvise things.
0: Especially when it's all controlled by nature. At the end of the day, we're still at liberty of, of what nature throws at us. How how has the season been for you there at Le Jardin de Gros Uh
2: For us, it was a really d- uh, different season. It was super dry. We had a six-week drought, wow. and uh, which is rare where we are. Um, and then, you know, that was just the drought, but it was really warm from, from June till, till now. Mm. Our ponds have been emptied long time ago and they're not filling up because it's not raining. And in a place where, you know, it's, it's, it's often said that Quebec has the most water in the world because we have a lot of lakes mm. and the aquifers are really filled. And Quebec is a really, really, really big, like five times the size of France. If you if you count all up north so but so we're not we're not used to thinking about water shortage mm. we, you know, we always have excess water so we raise our beds we drain our fields we we work around that but this year it's the reverse
0: Has has that led to you thinking outside the box and thinking of the future and how you can store more water or different systems or do you think this is just a blip um that you won't have to deal with again
2: no i don't think it's a blip i think uh, i'm gonna go to australia and kind of see what people are doing down there and that's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because it doesn't mean that we don't have water that there's no water it's just we're not thinking about how to capture it we're not thinking about how to store it Mm. but if you go to australia or if you go to california or if you go to some places they've, they've been thinking about this not since last year you know
1: Mm. yeah australia i was in a eight month drought when we was there and they, they kind of drained the water source to the max but they were just mulching as much as possible it weren't so much annuals it was more perennials which you can get yeah. away with but yeah it was it's it was a hard watch like the, the guy started to say i want to move back to the uk just <laughs> but it but there's always solutions, isn't there? we just got to look at other growers and, and team yeah. up, which I, I yeah. like about this space. Everyone's quite um quite free with the resource and their information. It's not so much a capitalist system because I think everyone's kind of coming at it from an anti-establishment uh, kind of viewpoint in a way, which I, I, I love. Um, but yeah, everyone's – it is great. I love this space and I love the community within it.
2: Yeah, I think sharing is a big part of how I got successful at farming. You know, there was growers that were giving me tips and advice and there was all sorts of, there wasn't internet when I started, but, you know, we would get together and then we would share an exchange. And and I think that's the DNA of the movement. Mm, It's really to have an open source aspect to it where, you know, the goal is for everyone to do better because we're not competing with one another. You know, and and the smaller the farm, the more true that is. So let's say you have in my little village here, um, when I started, there was just one other organic farmer. And I still remember, you know, he said he was looking at us with big eyes and say, oh, no, 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 this is my territory. And he was like, there's already one organic farm. We don't need two. And now there's 30 farms and we're all making it work. Mm. and because we're you know no one's kind of growing bigger and bigger and just like eating up all the the market shares it's like they're all small farms and they all want to have their little piece of the pie and the pie is growing Mm. so so it's working out
1: yeah Yeah. i've heard something a long time ago where they said paris was run like all the food in paris was run off so many market gardens around the city um, I mean, it would be beautiful to get back to those, those sort of days. Um, and you really? re- was recently there as well, um, in France. And
2: yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because when you know, I've been studying that for a long time, all the uh, the, the market gardeners of Paris, and, and that was in the eighteen and 1900s. And it, you know, Paris in the 1900s, you know, 18, 1820 to 1920, it was like a three million. Uh, people city it was a big city paris was like the center of the world really it was the biggest capital in the world and like you say there was thousands and thousands of small organic farms that were driving you know not driving but they were horse riding with cattle, and they were they were coming into paris and they would deliver the vegetables and then they would come back with the horse manure Oh, nice. and that was that was a big part of the system. That's how the city kept clean with the horses, because the gardeners were bringing back the manure for their fields. It was a real ecological system, and you know these growers in Paris were growing up to eight crops per bed per year, which we don't even do. And um, so they were working 18-hour day shifts, but still, it was kind of impressive the level of excellence that they had and a lot of these growers a lot of people from from uh, the uk went down in those times and wrote books about that so there's a there's a whole literature about it and if you read it it's really actual and it's really interesting how what i'm doing what a lot of growers are doing is pretty much the same thing bringing it back
0: yeah. It goes around in a circle eventually, doesn't it? And we come back to those, those older ways and even seeing sort of people moving away from, especially in, in this country, we've had a lot of fuel shortages lately. And that sparked talks of, um, even conventional agricultural machinery going backwards and people talking about using plows with horses and things. So it's funny how it all goes round in a circle eventually.
2: Yeah. As long as there's an economic model that makes it work financially, I think that's, that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know when we look at economics we don't need to be always looking at volumes of production and small margins on volumes that's the kind of the conventional the conventional way of doing business today is that it's like it's scaling out scaling up it's like walmart or whoever makes a small margins but they have so big markets that yeah. they're making a lot of money when you're farming it's the reverse it's like you want to make really high margins the bigger the margin and sell everything directly and have a small, small market. It's really niche. And then you're meeting them every week. So you're in a relationship with these clients. So you need a hundred families, 200 families and that's it. That's mm-hmm. enough to, generate an income for you to live by. And, and it's a simple living, satisfying, you know, the mat needs to work.
0: Absolutely. Um, going back to you, you said about your studying Paris, there's something that you've, you've got a new or a newer project than your first farm that's allowed you to study a lot around different ways of, of, of market gardening, so to speak, from um, the de Tompe. Um, and I hope I haven't butchered that. No, <laughs> but that's right. That okay. Said well. <laughs> Um, so could you talk about that space a little bit? Like, because that's very different in terms of the market you're going for, um, from Global NF and and yeah. the space. Yeah, well,
2: just yesterday we released, um, you know, today's Tuesday on Mondays. I do a weekly vlog now on YouTube, it's called Digging Deeper with, with my name, JM, and then I just kind of showed some images of the farm and. We're really talking about how permaculture was influenced me to design that farm. And the story is, I was doing my thing here at, at La Grelinette, and my book, The Market Gardener, was out, and it was quite popular already. And at one point, my mentor, Elliot Coleman, was kind of bugging me to meet this rich, Canadian, wealthy businessman that wanted to have a farm. And I was really not into it. I was like... It's not my cup of tea. Mm. You know, we're talking about a revolution, so let's get real. But Elliot insisted, and eventually I met with him, and uh, we became friends. And what he wanted to do was really, you know, he wanted to create a holistic farm that would have animals, vegetables, uh, commercial kitchen. And he wanted to create a farm that could, you know, be a symbol of how farming should be done. I was like, and very alternative, and I was like, wow, this is interesting, and so I jumped on it. And then part of my deal was that I wanted to get a to to have a farm school where I could train market gardeners, and so that's how we set it up. And part of it, so the the farm is uh, 100, you know, 80 hectares, and there's there's uh, beef cattle's. Um, there's pigs that are in the forest, there's chickens that are in eggmobiles. And in the middle of that, there's a big market garden. It's about four hectares. And uh, that's where I trained 10 apprentice per year in the market garden. We're using the same tools, the same strategy, pretty much everything that's described in my book. But it's, so, it's, 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 it's more open. There's more fields so that we can do more work And there's the pressure of getting a lot done in a day. And so I'm training them to not just be good at how to do things, but how to deal with stress, how to deal with timelines, how to deal with one another, because it's a big part of farming is managing conflicts and, you know, managing so many human aspects of farming. And so that's what I do. And I've been doing this since 2015. So it's already my seventh, sixth, seventh year. And uh, I commute, I commute to work. So I leave my farm in the morning and then I drive 45 minutes to the other farm. Then I come back.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I love the docu-series on the coast. Yeah, you saw that. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, you, are you doing a season two of that? Nope.
2: Nah. I, it stopped and um, it, was a, it was a good ride, but uh, it was... Tell you the truth, Jack. Like it was good. I like doing it, mm. but it was it was really something to have the cameras with you all yeah. the time. And then there was that. There was the master class, and um, it just got to be a lot for me at one point. So yeah, you know, it's kind of stepping down was uh, was important at one point.
1: Uh, it was awesome. It's like a really good way, especially if you're gonna go make the leap into market gardening to see how it operates. Uh, it's like a step further than maybe like a future uh, foresight of how you would want to run a farm. But man, it was awesome. And th- w- we just want to ask as well about like how you said about hu- humans being humans on a farm. It's like you got to maintain a level of positivity on the farm, fun, as well as like making sure they're doing the work to a, a point as well. So like we- we're just kind of interested how you get them to that level whilst maintaining like a good um, – Commu- like community, a good fuel. spirit. Yeah, good spirit yeah. of
2: farm. Yeah, that's a great, great question, and and that's the uh, that's that's what I've been really working on in the last few years. Um, for me, the answer, the short answer, is that you need to create. I don't know if that word in English or cadre like um, a structure. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a structure from which we operate in, and that structure needs to be really well designed and really crafted so that it's efficient. And inside of that structure, then you have opportunities to have fun, play work, but the structure is always there to kind of guide the day or the week or the month. And in that structure, there's different, there's different things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of them, to name a few, we work an eight to five. That's, that's a structure that we place on the farm. And the reason why we work in eight to five is that even if it's some par- parts of the seasons, we know there's too much work. We l- we've learned that if you push people too much in certain times, they're going to run out of gas at the end. Mm. And it's going to create a lot of problems. Yeah. And we've also learned that if we work in eight to five, and then there's somebody driving the day to get things done, the fact that you have to end the day pushes to get things done mm-hmm. like you know deadlines what you're at at universities like the deadline is wednesday so you're like okay well it's monday i need to get it done
1: mm-hmm.
2: or so you're kind of putting all the effort and the focus to to really do it that we found is really important to drive efficiency to have these deadlines and so n- lunch is at noon we need to finish by noon we need to finish by five. So that was one. And then another thing that we do is that we always plan the Mondays so that we lay out everything that needs to be done in a given week. Mm-hmm. And we lay it out in details and so that we can have a meeting with everyone on the farm and go over everything together so that everybody's involved People can say something, okay, no, I see that this needs, this should, no, this was done last week, whatever. So we, we're getting feedback, but the game plan, we call that the game plan, is acknowledged and accepted by everyone. So everyone's on board for the week. Mm. That that really, really helps to create a sense of belonging. You know, Workers are not just working, they're they understand that we need to get things done. And we also share with them the sales and the objectives that we have. So we start the season with a sales objective Mm. and we measure it every week and we give people objectives.
1: So it's all sorts of little things like that. It seems like you've got loads of small goals throughout the week that they've got to kind of hit, but I I like that you guys have like that little area where you come together in the gazebo. Yeah. And then you kind of say, like, oh, thanks for your work at the end of the week. Uh, and it's like a little pizza party or whatever. But oh, I think that's really cool. Oh, I've tried to incorporate that into the farm, like having a pizza yeah. oven and having it just like a space that you, this is the reason why I've done it, to have fresh food, the community of friends as well.
2: I'm, I'm really happy that you say that, Jack, because that's that's so true. And Friday night pizza for us. Or just having what we call here in French, l'apéro. Mm. So we're having, you know, it's, it's five o'clock Friday, you know, five thirty we have beers together. And then you're right. Like my role at that time is simply to say to everyone, thank you for your week. I really appreciate it. And you know, they, 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 they can't hear in enough, even if they joke about it, because they're like, okay, JM's is going to tell us <laughs> thank you for their week. It's, it comes from the hearts. Like, thank you for doing what you did this week. And my role is to, is, is to be that person. And they're obviously working slash for me in a way, but you know, the farm is, is, is they're running the farm. They're, they're the engine of the farm. And so at one point, when somebody works hard all week, there needs to be uh, more than a paycheck. You know, and so that's part of it. Uh, you've probably seen we also do Rose Thorns and Buds on Thursday, which is an hour session where we come together with everyone. All the crew comes together. We stop, and then we take an hour to go over each individually, in a circle. Uh, something that was the highlight of a oh, week, yeah, something yeah. that we liked, something that we don't like, or that's going on that are making us frustrated, angry, mad, whatever. And then we end with something that's positive, something that I'm looking forward to. And just creating that space where you won't be interrupted when it's your time to talk, you can just talk. You have a guideline to follow, you can't go on and forever, but you have like four or five minutes to, to talk. And having a space to express your frustrations, that really, really brings us together. And, and also what it does, is that it allows us to not talk about these things when it's not the time. It's like, you know, when it's Tuesday and we're picking peas and then, you know, Bob is angry because he's pissed because he can't find the car keys for the truck and he's blowing steam and it's like he wants to yell at everyone. It's like, hey, man, just wait on, on Thursday. We'll have time to talk about it. So just calm down, man. Oh. And but he knows that he'll be heard. Mm-hmm. So that that brings the stress level down a bit and then we can pick the peas and not have him yelling at us whatever so it's little things like that and um, you put them all together and it creates and this is this is what I was talking about the structure we're not doing we're not doing rosebuds and thorns when we like it we're doing it every week same hour regardless of how busy we are we do it and uh, these little things, you know, they make a difference.
0: That sounds so powerful, not just for, for their experience, but also for you as a, as a manager to have what feels like, to create that space must mean you get honest feedback, which will mm-hmm. mean you can structure and, and change procedures. I, I don't think there's many working environments where you'd get genuine, honest feedback like that.
2: It's really powerful. And, you know, the farm is also run by, we've split the roles and responsibilities. So I've assigned different roles Mm. to different people, and then they're in charge of making sure that their roles are carried out and they have responsibilities and they're accountable to the group and to me. Um, It took me a few years to really put all of that system of kind of co co co-management up Mm. and, and running, but It's really powerful because what it does is allows me to not have everything in my head It kind of split the load Mm. and it creates engagement. Like people are happy because people, you know, bright people like all us three and mostly the people that are on farms in our style, they're, they're bright people. They're not just kind of, they just don't want a repetitive work. They want to feel engaged. They want to be learning. They want to be challenged. So, it's, it's how you address all of that while keeping very clear that the goal is to grow the veggies and to get a specific outcome. And that's really important. We never forget that. It's all about, it's not all about the money, but it's all about the sales target. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> because if we're not achieving the targets, then the whole plan doesn't work. And so, for me, that's kind of like that we always come back to that okay, we're having a rough week, but man, we still need to get going and we still need to have that. It's like, boom, 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 let's go. There's a big market on Saturday. No, 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 no.
0: It's amazing. It's a, it sounds so powerful. and we, We've had staff on this farm for the first time this year and it's, it's been a challenge for us. But um, uh, just from that conversation, I've learned some, some tools I can take away there, which yeah. is really great. I'll give you if, you, if you
2: want, Chris, I'll give you my best management advice. Mm-hmm. Okay, are you yep. ready for it?
0: I'm ready. I'm ready.
2: Okay, it's it's really simple though. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's not worth a lot because I'm giving it for free. <laughs> so what I do is I always make sure that the workers that are working for me, I make it clear what my expectations are for anything that they're doing. Okay, so if you're they're harvesting carrots, hey, this is how I want you to harvest the carrots. Blah blah blah. And then my, my role is to go and look them in the eye and when they're doing it right, this is when I intervene and say, hey, Chris, when I see you bunching the carrots like I showed you, this is exactly what I'm talking about, good work. And I do this all the time. And I'm always praising when they're doing it right. And I'm kind of overdoing it to a pun, to a, it's kind of, kind of ridiculous in a way. <laughs> But I'm always kind of putting a positive feedback about what I'm, my expectations are and also acknowledging the fact that they're doing it, doing it well. And I tell you, it works. Mm. It works because in the end, nobody wants to hear that they're doing bad work. It's discouraging. It's demobilizing.
1: I love that. I have of that. I, as a worker, if a boss was like that to me, I couldn't have done it any better. But your, the rest of your day, you are making sure you're doing that to that mm-hmm. T because you want that thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's about not not
2: feeling shy. And that's really when you become a boss. Okay, a real boss, I have more experience than you guys. I've been doing this for 20 years. But you know, a real boss will will think about the fact that this person needs to be cheered up and fired up. Mm. And the best way to do that is to give a real good positive feedback when things are, do- things are done well. So you need to be kind of attentive. So I'm mm. looking for people that are doing it well. That's what I'm doing when I'm kind of cruising around the fields and, you know, and when, when it happens that somebody's fucking up, I've, I've had so many great interventions with them that the time that i'm going to be like i'm kind of disappointed that this is what's happening because i'm expecting more out of you well then it's a it's a quick okay you know,
0: <laughs> you know what i mean yeah I, I absolutely love that i my management experience started in supermarkets and that they i don't know what it's like now this was 10 15 years ago but um it's a very different culture and it's not, it's not positive reinforcement. It's negative reinforcement that's taught in management there. And and so it's really refreshing to hear you say that and and see that that has, that is, is working for you as the best way to, to manage. It's my best trick. (laughs) Thank you. I'll take that one for free. Thanks very much.
2: I I got, I got it from Chris Blanchard who did a podcast that was, that was the really famous, uh, what was the name of that podcast again? I don't remember. you guys know? Chris Blanchard, he was on kind of the first po- The first podcast that became big, the Farming Podcast, Farmer to Farmer Podcast.
0: Farmer to Farmer. Ah, yeah, absolutely. And
2: he was about 10 years older than me, 10, 15 years older than me. And when I started FQT Farm, I was obviously looking for advice about how to do things better. And uh, he came to the farm and He told me his trick and it works.
0: (laughs) I'm glad we're now passing it down to more people that are listening to this. Um, I want to jump back a little bit. Um, You mentioned your book a couple of times. And and I think in the book, you did talk about um, some mechanical processes, some tilling, some power harrowing using the things like the BCS it seems that some of the, the conversations I've heard from you more recently is that you've moved somewhat away to that, using more of tarping down and green manures and things like that. Has your journey with tilling changed and, and, and what have you seen from those various trials?
2: No, not really. It's, it's, it's still the same bottom line is, you know, the beds are permanent. Mm-hmm. So that in itself, uh, for me is the big, is the big thing. So you don't need to be plowing and disking and, you know, shaping soil all the time. Yeah. And uh, the tarps are there to, you know, to create the clean slate. So when, when you tarp your beds with silage tarps and people can look it over, there's tons of info on the internet about it. When you leave it for two, three weeks, and then when you come back, it's, it's clean. Mm. And you haven't worked the soil and the ecology is going and it's, it's really benign. Um, that for me just made a lot more sense than to do three or four paths with a rotor tiller. To, to clean up the beds. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we brought forks so that the, the soil is loose and deep. And then we put our amendments, compost, chicken manure, whatever. And then the harrow is to work the first few centimeters, but also to level and firm the seed bed, to make sure that they're all straight. and And that for me is important because when you do have problems with your crops, you want to take out as many variables as possible. Was it because it was too much water, not enough water? And then if you have beds that are kind of, then you don't have consistency in the crop. And so level and firming the seed beds and then the power harrow does that really well and really fast. Mm -hmm. And so that's been my strategy for ever since I started the farm and it's still what we're doing today. But to answer your question, something that I've seen is that there's a lot of focus on that no-till and not working the soil. And there's a lot of really successful farmers or growers that are using tillers and plows and really they have great, great crops. So I think it's really important to not be too dogmatic about this. There's, There's so many places that you need to put your focus on on your farm. Become a better greenhouse grower uh learning to you know optimize space and time with better crop planning uh you know there's so many other areas that are more important in my opinion that to till or not to till Mm. so we we need to not become dogmatic about that in my opinion
1: it's, it's about your environment, isn't it? And what I like as well, Jam, uh, is the permaculture aspects that have gone into the new farm. So the uh, the breaks in between the beds, it's like a almost like you've created an ecosystem between the beds. Um, do you like? Would you push that as to a new grower, or like as something to add as like a perennial parts of the farm?
2: Yeah, I think that's again that doesn't you know doesn't make the bottom line any better Mm. but it sure makes the farm feel better Mm. and and if you can get grant money to plant trees and shrubs and or if you yourself want to find time to grow flowers and then plant them perennials that's where it becomes really interesting to have a market garden where it's not just a piece of land growing vegetables it's an ecosystem Mm. and if you look at pictures of, of my farm here at Le Jardin de la Grelinette, if you look at the, you know, I was talking about the YouTube videos that are out there. Man, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a really cool ecosystem. And there was nothing here, you know, and just planting trees, planting shrubs, digging ponds, making sure that there's flowers that are flowering throughout the whole season. That's just the beauty of what we do. And, and I you know, I think we should get monetization for that at one point. Definitely. Yeah. But but that's, you know, that's going to be the work of somebody else, mm. uh, you know, but perhaps you guys need to push that.
0: Yeah, definitely me. <laughs> we, we always talk about the fact that, that you, you may look at some of older conventional agriculture, as it's called here, um, farms. We always talk about the fact that you wouldn't pick them to go and have a picnic, but most market gardens like ours, you would because they're beautiful, yeah. you see so much nature there. It's, it's, we, we joke about it, but it's, it's absolutely the truth.
2: It's the truth. And, you know, ultimately, are we going to win against big ag? You know, I don't know. Uh, chances are that we won't, but, man, we have more fun doing what we're doing. And it's, it's at one point, it's influencing as many people as possible in doing things the right way. Mm. Um so picnics you know they're important.
1: I also think it's like important to make this cool again, which I find what you're doing with Growers and Co, you're making farming cool. Like cuz ultimately any space I feel like when there's new energy and people making it cool like um the question I've always wanted to ask is I, I got into growing while I was surfing in Australia and it's like merging hobbies and farming like the culture of like your clothes range as well on the recent video on YouTube I was just like yes it's making farming with the the sort of clothes I'd wear out all the time and that's (laughs) that's what I love and and with the magazine the artistry of it is beautiful and for me it's like I'm watching it with a big smile on my face going and also my bank account being worried about I want to buy that I want to buy that (laughs) I want to buy that Well,
2: you know, I really appreciate you telling me this because I don't get that much feedback on it, but that was my vision is, you know, I've worked really hard to share really technical stuff about farming that I know works and, you know, the masterclass, the book, and, and I think that's really important. That's, that's more important than let's say making farming cool again, but if you make farming cool, you'll attract a lot of people that otherwise might not be interested in it. And in my opinion, farming is is fucking cool. Yeah, and farmers yeah. are heroes. And then I always kind of compare it to Patagonia or the North Face. And then they had, you know, billboards of rock climbers. And then people are like, oh, man, this is so cool. You're a rock climber. Yeah. It's like, man... A rock climber, what's, what you know, com- compared to a farmer? Yeah. Like a farmer's fucking cool. Yeah. That's cool. I you're feeding them. the community and you're outside and then you should have good clothes. Mm. You, you're, you're the outdoor person because, you know, we're farming for four seasons and we're always outside and rain or shine or, you know, we're, we're out there. And so for me, all, all of this started to kind of, and the prideness, you know, yeah. when I, when I wear my suspenders, you know, I don't wear them because I have a fat belly. I wear them because I want to have some swag to my farm and to my farming. And I think that's, that's, that's great. We all need that, you know, not superficial.
1: Yeah. 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 No, it's cool. I wear a lot of like uh, like surfing brands when I'm on the farm, when I'm out at my farmer's market, because I want to sh- portray, like, I'm not, I don't know. It's just, it is like an image you want to give out that is, is cooler, is edgier. People have responded respond to that really well. But I was just so stoked to see what you're doing with the growers and co in the recent episode. For me, it was the the guy um, who's okay. Who's the, yeah, Fred. yeah, Fred? I liked his. Um, it's like the big pocket here. Yep, he was yep. just walking around in it. And I was yep, like, that's a smuck. A smuck
2: is I, I designed that is. It's meant so that it's waterproof, so when and the the, the leaves are waterproof the the sleeves are waterproof, mm. and then the belly so when you're gunning and washing your veggies, oh, uh, nice you know we, we get we get you know I travel a lot, and I got that from looking at fishermen's what they're wearing mm. yeah, and um yeah and and for me that's you know what we wear is also really important, mm. and not just brands but you know the comfort the comfortness and yeah the function, the yeah, functionality function. Of, of the pieces of clothes. I, I, I work with knee pads now all the time because I didn't for many years and started to get back problems, and I know that it's better to have knee pads with you while farming, so then we have pants that have the knee pads in them. Uh, this kind of stuff.
0: Um, we're aware of the time, so I just want to before we get onto what we call our quick fire questions at the end, um, I wanted to ask what's, what's coming up next? What's next for J?
2: Well, I want to keep on doing what I'm doing. Um, That's a great question. Um, (laughs) I'm just doing this vlog now on YouTube. I'm really enjoying it. Mm. Um, I'm with Chris, another camera guy. And the goal is like in 15 minutes to capture the beauty of where we are and what we do. And that's his role. And for me to share a bit of my life and what what I think is interesting. And then the magazine, it's the same. I want to tell the stories of different farmers out there that are inspirational for others. A big part of my work, guys, will be to put the spotlight that I have on other people. Mm. That's what I want to do with, with uh, the next seven years.
1: There's
2: a lot. Of cool. I love
0: that. There's
1: a lot, what, of, a lot
2: of cool growers as well. Yeah, oh yeah. There's there's so many people out there that are worth exploring and telling their story because it's amazing. And I think that's really powerful. You know, when we tell the stories of inspirational people. We inspire others, and then we we're growing the pie,
0: mm.
2: and that's that's what our movement needs.
0: And I adore that you're using that platform and those skills that you've developed to put a spotlight on those people, because there are amazing growers out there that don't have any of those skills, don't have the ability to use social media or put, but they're they're just working away in the fields doing incredible things. So I really appreciate that that, that what you're doing there. That's amazing. Uh, so it brings us to, to the point that, that many people tune in for. Um, it's our quick fire questions. There is one at the end that everyone wants to know the answer to, but we'll start them off if if you're happy to with um, your favorite tool on the farm. Now, I know this might be difficult to, to nail it down to one. Um,
2: the wire weeders, the <laughs> exchangeable heads. I think it's really nice. Um, it's The last four or five years I've been using them and in certain soils when it's light, or to go over drip tapes the fact that the the weeder is open at the end really comfortable really nice really smooth it's one one that i like
0: amazing and it doesn't damage the drip tape does it not
2: no it doesn't because wow. it's a, it's not a blade it's a wire mm. so you can really go and and you know you can press on on the weeder and it's it's going to work the soil but it's not cutting the drips which it's always a problem. It's like mm. either, either you remove the drips or you're saying, oh, no, I'm just going to go gently. And then you just, <laughs> you always end
1: up making holes in the drip tape. Yeah. And so, it's efficient and quite speedy. It's like, I've seen it on the course. Yeah. It's like, you're done. Like yeah. 100 foot beds. Yeah. Really quick. Jem, um, what's your favorite farm hack if you've got even just a small one? well one that you know you've seen in the course a lot the bubbler when
2: i saw that that was a big big thing for me because we used to double and triple wash and mm. it was a lot of work and then just having the bu- the bubbler there to just put everything in it and boom yeah. bubble it for two minutes that w- that for me was was a major one um I mean, that was a hack because it was kind of, i saw it somewhere and then it was kind of shared and then We've been kind of developing in ourselves and sharing how to make them.
1: No, they're they're awesome. We've not been able to get the same motor as you guys in Europe. Uh, So I I saw a Japanese grower use a like Dewalt leaf blower.
2: Nice, nice, yeah.
1: (laughs) Try try something different, but yeah, it's it's awesome. It does exactly
0: what it says. Does that gets those slugs off those um, lettuce leaves? That's it. Mm The next one is your least favorite crop to harvest. I haven't been asked that question, so I'm not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm having a hard time here. (laughs) Any suggestions? For me, it's like field beans or beans just because it's so labor intensive. So that's something that drives me mad.
2: I I think spinach because we do harvest each of the leaves Mm -hmm. individually. Mm -hmm. Uh, big, big harvests. Like it could be two, three hours in the winter. But then again, if we're not picking them, we don't have a lot to sell in the winter. So that's true. <laughs> yeah, I think I've 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 made peace with pretty much all of them out there. When I'm harvesting them, I'm kind of happy that they're they're growing. Uh, I would say like sometimes when I harvest um, some of the cabbages. And there's some, um, some either some mold into them, or you know anything that I harvest that is not kind of good or perfect, Mm. that's Ah. it's never as enjoyable. True,
1: true. Is there any veg um, every like? Is there a vegetable that everyone likes but you hate for taste? Cresson.
2: I don't know what cresson is in uh, in English. It's like a really stingy. People can Google
0: it. (laughs) I'll have a look. I'll put it in the show notes, find out. Yeah. (laughs) So the last one, yeah, the last one is, um, it's something that seems to be taking off and it's a question we we all want to know from you, JM, is that do you prefer a walk around the farm with a morning coffee or an afternoon or evening beer?
2: Uh, (laughs) Two two, two beautiful moments. (laughs) I'm definitely, that's a great question love it it's, I'm definitely a coffee person in the morning that's where I get my my gears into motion and I um yeah for me the the, the beer or the glass of wine is sunset at the farm when the work is done usually on Fridays just like pff, so happy mm, yes. um yeah but these little rituals they eh, they're important and and they make our life beautiful so it's a great question
1: we're thinking about getting merch at some point because it's uh, we've got team coffee or team beer and it's, it's splitting the nation at the minute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. That's amazing. Jim, thanks so much for your time today. It's been amazing. We could we could chat for hours, um, but we're away. you've got to get away. So just what should people be looking out for from you um, online now? Well, the, the
2: magazine, the third edition of Growers Magazine is coming out uh, next month. It's going to be really beautiful if people want to check it out. And that, that YouTube channel that I started, I'm, uh, it's new. I think we're into six, seven episodes. So feedback. It's awesome. Feedback, yeah. Well, feedback about what people would like to hear. You know, I have what I like about that project is I can decide whatever I want to do in a given week.
1: So you're going um, off some of the comments as well, if people... Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah,
2: I, I read the comments. Uh, I don't answer to everything, but I, I read them and I'm, I'm interested in them. So...
1: That's, so yeah. fresh uh, for our suggestion one way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome, JM. Hey, you guys are great. Um,
2: let's do this another time. Mm. Whenever. Like it could be in the winter if you want. We can we can sure. do a special winter farming, what we do here.
0: Sure. That would that would be awesome to hear about. Something we're just we're just diving into winter now. So but it'll be great to hear. Okay. Be well, guys. You too. Stay, thank you so the much for your time. Cheers. Bye. Take care. Wow, one episode we loved recording with JM. Thank you so much to him for his time and thank you for listening. I hope you've got a lot out of this. If you want to watch the video version of this podcast completely unedited, head over to our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash foodgrower academy. And a big shout out to thank our sponsors for this episode. A big shout out to Direct Plants Limited and to Natural Grower. If you're interested in their range of products and you want some discount codes, have a look in the show notes below. We've got them for you. Otherwise, we'll see you on the next podcast. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. See you soon.